And welcome to the latest edition of the Meltzer Five Star Project, the ongoing series within the Let Me Tell You Something universe, in which myself, your Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorca Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross, discuss every match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. We're on the same date as we were for last week's episode. We're actually going back in time a little bit. This one took place earlier on in the day. And we are still in the same rating that is higher than five stars, Simon. This is a second five and a quarter star match. I mean, you know, the classic story of you wait for a bus to come and then two come at the same time. (laughs) This is more a case of you wait for a bus to come and then a non-existent design of bus somehow magics through thin air. And so does the the night bus from Harry Potter. Yeah, that's what it is. And it involves two people we haven't had on the Meltzer Five Star Project before. They've come, one in particular has come very close for a number of years. And it's in a promotion that we did have relatively recently, but before then was long starved of a five star or higher match. Actually, I guess this is the highest. <gasps> this is better than what many people consider the greatest match of all time that was held by this promotion. <laughs> So if that shouldn't get you excited, then I don't know what will. But anyway, enough of the preamble. Who are we talking about? Where are we? We are at a Noah show, as Lorcan's already alluded to, taking place again, as Lorcan's already alluded to, on the 15th of July 2023. Thankfully, we don't need a DeLorean to travel back in time. We are just using a streaming service. So we've we've dodged that bullet. Look at us with our legalities. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do feel I'm obligated to point out it's a free trial for a week. <laughs> Use legal means of streaming. This is our last resort. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not actually watching an all Noah match. It, it's a war. It's an interpromotional war between Noah and All Japan as All Japan's Kento Miyahara turns up at Noah to fight their big stud. Katsuhiko Nakajima. It's funny as well, though, because whilst it is a Noah versus All Japan match, it is not a native All Japan versus Noah match. Because both men cut their teeth under the auspices of Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto, the husband wife duo that went around and picked up a couple of young proteges and trained them up, and then sent them out to various promotions. And over time, Nakajima found a home in Noah, and Miyahara found a home in All Japan. Yep. Nakajima's long been a figure right near the top. I think he has won the GHC title. At the very least, I think he's won the N1 tournaments. He's definitely decorated in Noah. Whereas Miyahara has gone on to essentially be the ace of All Japan for the last five or so years. If he's not the triple crown champion he's somewhere there or thereabouts anyway and i think many people have equated his time with all japan to tanahashi's run as the ace of new japan pre kazuchika okada where he's trying his best to carry a whole promotion that has seen better days on his back and this increasingly 
friendly relationship between the traditional big three of Japanese wrestling. Whether they are truly the big three, there are plenty of Dragon Gate and DDT, and even stardom fans that would query that positioning, at least in a business sense or a cultural impact in 2023 sense. But when times get rough, this is a good time to... Band together. Yeah, find something that's of mutual benefit. I'm sure this is not the last time we see these two face off against each other, but the next time may not be in a Noah ring, it may be in an All Japan ring. Decent chance it'll be at Krakow and Hall again. Mm. Because, unfortunately for Noah and All Japan, most of their big matches these days, the, the biggest venue they can hope to fill is... Krakowin Hall. The days of a Sumo Hall or a Budokan Hall show every couple of months have unfortunately long gone for both promotions. Obviously, I, I, I listen to the English commentary and one of the commentators say, does say in this match, oh, this match could sell out anywhere in Japan. I'm like... I don't think that's true. <laughs> I bet it would have got a decent crowd in Sumo Hall or Budokan yeah. Hall if they'd have gone there, but it wouldn't have been sold out because New Japan aren't selling out all those shows a lot of the time. Yeah. If you look at the G1 Climax match shows they're having at the moment, there are clear, visibly empty rows of chairs. Well, they're subject to shrinkflation, aren't they? Because now they're only getting 20-minute matches, not 30. So mm, Yeah. Why even bother, hey? <laughs> well, this does go over 20, and it does go over 30 minutes. But I will say, I thought this was a very well-paced, very well-wrestled match. Mm. I can see why Meltzer loved it. It sort of follows the Meltzer, not formula, but it's just, I think these are the types of matches that Meltzer loves. Although, he was critical. I wasn't sure he was going to go five stars, so I was even more surprised when he went five and a quarter. Not just because that's stupid, but because... <laughs> In the audio that he was discussing, he was just heaping praise onto the FTR Bullet Club Gold match, whilst being a bit more reserved with the Nakajima Miyohara match. Alvarez was going all out, this was awesome, this was one of the best matches of the year. And Melson was like, yeah, but I was a bit concerned about how they were hitting each other. And I have to say, I thought that there were no kicks that were any more or less severe than anything I've seen Shibata do. Oh, yeah. Maybe there's a few more of them because it's over... A 30 minute period but whilst there was a run of headbutts in this match to me it looked like they were doing the safe kind the hold them by the head and probably you're headbutting your own thumb so yeah i'm sure miyahara's thumbs were in terrible condition after that <sighs> if ever there was a moment to challenge him to a thumb war simon that would have been <laughs> opportunity oh damn it i've missed my chance and you know he would have been all fighting spirit about it yeah you think he's got a thumb pinned down and suddenly he does a pop-up no-sell. Um, at one. <laughs> that was the curious thing, actually. Seeing, for a long time, so much of the New Japan stuff that we see feels like it's a hybrid of New Japan and All Japan and all the other elements of pro wrestling and how there is no singular version of a promotion's wrestling anymore. That Lucha Libre is going to have strikes in it and heavyweight wrestling matches are going to have dives off the top rope in it. Yeah, and every single match across the whole globe that goes beyond 20 minutes will have a moment where two people stand in the middle of the ring and start exchanging forearms. We get one of those. <laughs> we do get one of those. So, as like I said, about formula. This, Unlike the FTR Bullet Club gold match, there's no real attempts to subvert formula. It's working within its genre of main event Japanese wrestling style, and it does a fantastic job with it. But when we saw the moments in it where there was suddenly pop-up no-selling off of suplexes, that was more like... 
oh yeah, this is kind of the all Japan of the 90s style that we don't see as much. We don't really see, outside of a few Ishii matches. Yeah. I can't recall that many pop-up no-sells in, in wrestling in general nowadays. You had the recent one with Osprey hitting the one ring Angel. That was not, that wasn't necessarily fighting spirit. That's more like impudence of being hit with my own move. Yeah, and that wasn't a pop up. That was a one count kick out. So he was down, but he got up early. I mean the immediacy of it. Yeah, that they don't hold back, and the idea is that they kind of know that they're gonna collapse in a moment and that is what happens both hit german suplexes the other guy pops up then nakajima hits a saito suplex miyahara pops up and lays him out with a lariat and then they do the double down yeah which like you say is very king's road-esque there's the whole okay i've managed to survive i've hit something and then like all the pain and exhaustion catches up to you the adrenaline's gone and you're just a shell of a man that hits the canvas Another thing that this match has echoes of in its story, I suppose, is the Misawa Kawada series of matches. Mm. In so far as these guys, as we said, knew each other from the time that they started in wrestling. Well, Nakajima was the first one picked up by Sasuke and, and Hokuto and trained up. And then Kento Miyahara was the second one. And then the third one was Masakitamiya. Yeah. And he's on commentary during the match. There's a cross face on the barrier and he's like, Miyahara's face is being angled at him, like mocking him. I don't know if it is mocking. I don't know what it is, actually. I don't know how he really fits into this world. The commentators explain Miyahara and Nakajima's stuff quite quite well. I understand their story, but I don't quite know how he fits into the equation. I think the implication is that of sibling rivalry. Ah. Uh, Kitamiya is part of it as well, but maybe just for the case since this match is not as intense maybe because he also is a Noah wrestler so maybe him and Nakajima have had a, had a more long-standing period of constantly battling with each other whereas Miyahara yeah has been separate from Nakajima for what nine years did they say was the last time they had a match with each other yes so maybe that's why there's different dynamics there but there is still the the sibling rivalry essentially mm. and the fact that in their head-to-head record um, Nakajima's free and Noah ahead he's Having a great time. Again, another example of the Misawa-Kawada dynamic where Kawada just could not get a singles win over Misawa for years. Which I guess is why in the press conference when um, Miyahara gets the hit in first and floors Nakajima, it's such a shock at the time and it's used as a selling point for this match. It's like, look how far he's come. Mm. Also, though, I think it's the case that Nakajima is renowned for doing that as well Nakajima is known for being maybe the hardest striker because when Sasaki picked him up he was already like at the age of 16 or something competing in martial arts competitions like the the lad has been fighting from a very very early age yeah I remember reading about him being brought into New Japan when he was only like 19 years old and getting involved in stuff he is down as the youngest person to compete in the champion carnival tournament so he was also i think he's been in at least one g1 climax as well oh, okay. that would have also been when he was in like his early 20s yeah the problem that those people have obviously is that if you're not a native talent it's probably a lot harder for you to get pushed to the moon mm. as one of their own look at how long it took kota Ibushi to get that moment in new japan yeah and what an exceptional talent Ibushi had to be in order to achieve that yeah look at how hard so in a way you're taking a risk by having Sasuke in your corner that you will get work but you might not get the tippy top work 
And Kenta Miyahara, I think, I think it's emblematic that the place he got the best work was All Japan, which has probably got a shallowness of talent nowadays compared to back in the old days. Because I do get the sense now that pretty much everyone who is a Japanese wrestler will try some way, shape, or form to get into New Japan first if it's at all plausible. Yeah. Before going on to other avenues. That's famously what happened to Sonada. They do these public training sessions with all these people that want to be picked for New Japan. Yeah. And he got rejected. And so did Yoshihashi, who was also in that class. Whilst Yoshihashi kept trying to go to New Japan and eventually succeeded on his third attempt, Sonada went elsewhere and he then, I think, went to All Japan and he went under... And he became essentially a, a Kijimuto disciple. Oh, okay. These guys are Sasuke's disciples. And from there he went with All Japan and then he followed Kijimuto to Wrestle 1. And then New Japan picked him up. And it's been a slowest part of that narrative. Mm. I mean, it helps It helps Sonoda a lot that it's Kijimuto. <laughs> under the window. And I think up to 2000, there was an equal distribution, I think, more of the talent of who would go to what dojo in an attempt to... Make join that promotion yeah the baba and inoki that all japan and new japan had equal sway and that misawa who always loved the all japan form of wrestling actually persuaded kawada his school friend to join him at all japan because kawada wanted to go to new japan and you can kind of understand why when you look at kawada and his more strikes with kicks yeah based offense compared to misawa but we don't really get that sense that much anymore Miyahara had always... I remember like Meltzer constantly going on about how great Miyahara was, arguing that he was one of the top five wrestlers in the world and everything. I was like, well, why don't you give one of his matches five stars then? Yeah. We even did an aborted attempt at a match of the week where we did watch a Miyahara match. And it was good, but it was like I didn't have anything of interest to say about it, implying that I've thought every 380 episodes or whatever... I've been very interested. <laughs> now, I know that's not true, because some of those picks are mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yes, that is true. And I spent most of the episode mocking you for it. <laughs> it's a wide smorgasbord I try and make, okay? Mm. I'm happy with that. <laughs> what struck me in this match is how good Miyahara is at the emotions and selling in particular. I think some of his selling in this match is right up there with the best of Tanahashi. And Tanahashi's the one that you, I think you most compare him to. Although, to be fair, it's actually Nakajima that does the, the knee attacks later on. Yeah. But just that general resilient babyface energy, I suppose. And because I've always associated him as being the ace of All Japan. And when they did do the um, recent All Together events that I think sort of triggered these later events that... Miyahara was put in the team with Tanahashi. Okay, okay. I don't know what to make of Miyahara. I don't. I, I don't feel drawn to him. I don't feel compelled by him. Really? Out of the two, it's Nakajima who compelled me more in this match. Well, I think Nakajima just has that cool charisma. Yeah. It, it, he very much reminded me of New Japan Shinsuke Nakamura. Mm, I know what you mean. Similar, like, corner... Choke, not like good vibrations like Nakamura, but um, sort of more Los Ingobernoles uh, vibes. Yes, there is also a Naito. He's like a cross between Nakamura and Naito in that regard. Yeah. 
because he's got the strikes, and but you say he's also got that belligerent attitude. When they did the New Japan Noah cross promotion thing, it was Nakajima, the faction that Nakajima is a part of, that was paired up with Los Ingobernables. Wow, which makes sense. <laughs> Although I think Nakajima is one of those guys who's sort of like a satellite member of a faction. You know, he's not necessarily friends with them. Oh, he's an like, affiliate. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm Bret sure. Hart with the NWO. Yeah. I, I did like the whole Nakajima thing, and I like the whole big brother, little brother thing. Although, God almighty, the ref... I feel like the commentator that has, like, surface knowledge of everything, and so he just hits those... It's kind of like when you know that JR doesn't necessarily know that much about whoever's taking part. <laughs> but he knows that, like, oh, this is the part of the story we want to get over. It's like, okay, I'm just gonna... <laughs> Rio only weighs 90 pounds. We know. <laughs> so he just kept saying, Kohai Senpai. Yeah. And I do get that, because that is a genuine thing in... Japanese culture in general, but pro wrestling culture. The older, younger dynamic is so prevalent that I remember the Young Bucks saying that when they toured New Japan, whenever they lost a match, it was nearly always Nick that took the fall, not Matt's. Yeah. Because even there, it was like, well, he's the younger brother, so he's going to be... Easier to beat. Dude, I'm 29 and he's 27. Yeah. What kind of sense does that make? (laughs) My back still works. (laughs) (laughs) It's just Matt there, like, come on, man. <laughs> I, no, but like, Nick will be complaining about Matt's like, hey, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> now lie down! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's you again. <laughs> oh, dear. But, yeah, you're right, they do lay it on thick, which for me, uh, someone who knows pretty much nothing about Noah, and that, that helps in a sense, but there's, there's a point where you can go deeper into the story really like like apart from the buzzwords of uh nakajima's three and oh he has more wrestling experience by about three or four years like i don't i never really knew beyond those two things and i extrapolated from that in terms of how they performed in the ring but you could set the table a bit more as to why is it they hate each other so much well i think again you just need to know bigger brother little brother I was like, well, that's everything. Yeah. That's why I think Bret Hart, Owen Hart was such a perfect feud. Because it's just so easily understandable immediately. I always remember at WrestleMania 10, just hearing a couple of people in the crowd yelling, Come on, Owen! Yeah. Those those are younger brothers. Those are younger brothers. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Even at like 11, I was like, yeah, I understand why they're (laughs) screaming at them. As an older brother who was taking great pleasure in practicing his wrestling moves on his younger siblings whether they were willing or not participants yeah i'm an older brother and i get it <laughs> oh look how big you've grown what a shame we don't live together anymore yeah. <laughs> run away, run away. <laughs> i felt that we had that right at the start with nakajima's smile and did you see the noah match that happened during covid where it was goshi izaki against uh, kazuyuki fujita and literally the first half an hour after the bell rung was them looking at each other. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, and those people online were like, this is genius. This is incredible. The daringness of it to do that. And I'm just like, I think that this match has them stand still for like 45 seconds at the start. Yeah. And that told it all as much as you needed anyway. And then they go into the ropes. For me, there's a reason that half an hour staring match took place during COVID. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't have tried it in a full crowd. I don't know, with Fujita. And then when they actually did start fighting, at one point they went outside and Fujita literally got some hand sanitizer and started dipping it into Shizaki's mouth. Ah. Which is quite disgusting, on ironically. 
<laughs> but yeah, I liked that there was that caginess in the first Ooh. few minutes because it's like these guys know exactly what the other one's capable of. Yeah, more than anyone. And also because they know everyone knows that Nakajima's got badass strikes, but now Nakajima for the first time knows that Miyahara has them too. Yeah, that's so great when they're in the ropes, and it is reminiscent of the Tanahashi Okada stuff. But they do their own version of it, which is Miyahara backs him into the ropes, and that makes sense because Miyahara's bigger out of the two of them. And he goes for a slap like that time, and then Nakajima's able to duck it and walks away with a smile on his face like, fool me once. Shame on... Shame on you. Fool me twice. It's not like to fool people. (laughs) And then they go into the ropes again, but it's Nakajima that's in control. And again, it's really slow. Who's going to do what? That human chess element. And then Nakajima just pats him on the chest. And again, that's the condescending. Older brother stuff. Older brother. Yeah. Superior stuff. So just in those three minutes or so of them not doing much of anything, perfectly lays the foundation. Everyone knows what's going on. And then just suddenly there's the burst of action. They just start going at super pace. And Miyahara wins it with boots and does a pose. And then for the next 20 minutes or so, it's like this constant back and forth of no one getting full control, but a sustained period of control for a couple of minutes and nearly always letting themselves down by then feeling like they need to get into their opponent's head by posing. Like I said, with Miyahara, it was doing that muscle pose. Then with Nakajima, it was trying to set up to do that corner sort of standing drop kick press against him. It was like a a drop kick in pause. (laughs) But Miyahara knows that that's what's coming and so... It's like a tranquilo choke, really. And Miyahara responds with all those headbutts. And yeah, it's just, it's not reinventing the wheel. No. But it's it's riding the course perfectly. Yeah. Well, maybe perfectly is an exaggeration. Depends on how you define perfectly. There's no, there's no blemishes. There's no blunders in this match that I can recall. Oh, no, no, no. It's a very hard-hitting affair as well. Those chest kicks, like, I don't know if it's because it's easy to make the sound of, of hitting a chest because it's a big target area, but yeah. Christ, they, they produce some noise, don't they? Yeah, there's a specific part of the chest, I guess, that is the, makes the loudest sound with the minimal amount of pain. Yeah. And now minimal does not mean small, but the least amount of pain that it can be induced upon you, apparently. Because apparently, like, when you leave a match with Tomohiro Ishii, you don't actually feel the effects of it that badly. Okay. Which is incredible when you consider what you see. Yeah. I think it's just like there's that fleshy part around the neck and the chest that makes a great sound without necessarily hurting yourself. And also, I think that there is probably padding within the kick pads that they're wearing. Yeah. That allows for a bit more give. Yeah. But it makes a great sound. I would imagine so. Otherwise, their shins would be dust at this point. So at that at one point towards it, Nakajima goes after the knees and he is doing great low drop kicks. Puts on the prison lock, which is like a figure four leg lock, but you are sort of kneeling above them yeah. and pressing in front of them. And it is a good looking hold. And as they say, it's third guy, Masaki Amir's hold. Ah. So he's doing it to taunt that yeah. guy as well. So he's like... One of his younger brothers he's taunting in the ring, and one of his younger brothers he's taunting on the yeah. outside of the ring. It's a very taunty hold anyway, because obviously you're staring right at your opponent. Like, And you've got that sense of superiority over them. I'm surprised more people don't try and do this. It's a good-looking hold. It's something that like MJF would look great doing on a, on a guy, just like looming over them, and it's a perfect place to just yell taunts at them. 
but after, it's after the prism hole that Nakajima sort of has like a big period of control until the apron pile driver. Which was another one of those moments where you were just reminded of all Japan Noah because so many of their big matches were defined by who hits the big move on the apron. Usually it's on the apron to the outside. Yeah. But a pile driver on the apron, although as we've seen over the years, a pile driver does not seem to have the cultural significance in Japan that it does in America. Yeah. Whereas on the other end of the scale, the back suplex has less significance in America as it does in Japan. Uh, but yeah, it does play up, I think, that it, and that was just wonderful, like, long... Again, all Japan, classic. One's desperately trying to hit the hold, the other desperately trying to block it, and the struggle to gain that control because they know that this is a pivotal moment. Mm. And it does also play up that I think Miyahara's mistakes in this match is that he keeps engaging Nakajima in strikes. And when he goes back to wrestling, that's when he's at his best and his own strengths. He's sort of... He's got into his own head. It's not enough to beat Nakajima, even though he should. He has to beat Nakajima, really, to like break this like sort of hold Nakajima's got over him. But he wants to beat Nakajima at Nakajima's game, and ultimately, that's what gets him in trouble. Yeah, like when they do do the standing in the middle of the ring exchange, which, like I said, is in every match. At least this one, again, if it's telling a story unique to that match, I don't mind it so much. And the story it's telling there is that Miyahara is getting rocked harder by Nakajima's strikes at first than Nakajima is in reverse. Yeah. Like, when Nakajima hits the forearms, Miyahara is staggering, barely getting to it, staying on his feet. When he hits Nakajima, Nakajima is selling, but it's not as bad, whereas Miyahara genuinely seems to be dazed and confused as to where he is. And then when they speed up the exchanges, like I said, it seems like when when stuff is sped up, that's when Miyahara's more often than not in control. Yeah. Or at least in this one, it equalizes the control elements of it. They're hitting each other as fast as and as hard as the other one. But then Nakajima changes it up to boots and kicks. And Nakajima then just starts trying to demoralize Miyahara by saying just keep hitting me nothing's hurting me yeah and Miyahara can't drop him and so then Nakajima responds with a high kick thinking oh I've completely destroyed him emotionally because I just knocked him down with one kick but instead Kiyomara jumps straight up (laughs) yeah it's like you're not getting me that easily yeah he's trying his hardest and if he'd just stuck to his roots he would have done better but yeah and to be fair again when he starts to control it in the near fall sequences at the end, he is having these sustained periods of control where he's trying to hit him with his moves for the most part. Most famously, his delayed German suplex. Yeah. And sometimes there are Miyahara matches that it's like that German suplex sequence will take like a couple of minutes because it's all about, especially when it's the hand clasp version, because the first one he does, he does the delayed element to it, but he doesn't have nakajima's hand yeah. so then he tries to do it so then it becomes some people call it a straight jacket suplex mm. where his hands are down by his side and so nakajima knows that that's what's coming and so he's desperately trying to fight it off again it's like at the start where you're not hitting anything it's all about hitting one thing and that tells more of a story than just constant hitting of meaningless moves and so that's, again, why I think Meltzer considers Miyahara such a great storyteller. Yeah. And eventually he's able to get out of the second attempt, and that's where he's evading Miyahara, and then just that slap. 
and it looks amazing and it sounds amazing. When I wrote it down, I just did capital letters SLAP! <laughs> SLAP! It tells the whole story. Nakajima was the superior striker. Yeah. Miyahara had tried to get into his head with that by knocking him out with a slap. But this is his comeuppance. We thought we'd had it at the start when Nakajima ducks the slap. But instead we get it right at the end when Nakajima is able to do to Miyahara what Miyahara had done at the press conference. But it's a lot better to do it in the match than in the press conference. Yeah, this time it counts. Mm. And he does the penalty kick, and he hits him with the... That gets a really close three count. And instead of it then being a trade back and forth reversal sequences, which is what you get in, like, a lot of New Japan matches at this point, he just pulls him up slowly, again like all Japan, and just hits him with a brain buster, and that's enough to keep him down. Kill him three. off. And just that story that we told from the start. I mean, and Nakajima has always thought himself superior at the start of the match. He does that Chris Jericho one-foot pose pin. Yep. And whilst he doesn't have, doesn't get to do that to pin him, he does still have it. And then in the post-match, he's like, get out of my ring. <laughs> but Miyahara's desperately trying not to play up to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a great bit as well. We've sort of like missed it. The, gr- the pure ground and pound. Yeah. Where he's just battering him. Miyahara sells it so well that he's completely out of it that I actually thought they were going to do the knockout finish there. And it sort of took me out of it slightly that they didn't, in a sense. Yeah. Because he's so floppy. <laughs> that is the problem with the wobbly, knocked out, out on your feet kind of selling. After a while, it's like, well, yeah, you, you're either out or you're not. No one's yeah. in this perpetual dazed state for more than a couple of seconds, at least based on my knowledge of Tom and Jerry cartoons. The birds aren't <laughs> flying around your head for 10 minutes. <laughs> Well, I guess it depends uh, how hard you hit, basically. Tom and Jerry might have been working snug, but safe. And it, uh, it's a perfect one to go to continue the narrative, because I suppose it's one of those brilliant things like how, where they did the FTR Briscoe Brothers, and even though FTR won the Series 2-1, the way that it ends is the perfect way that both teams feel like they've come out as equals. Obviously. Yeah. So when Miyahara does beat Nakajima, it's more a case of I've finally reached your level. Mm. And so we are equals at this point. And so then any future matches they have. Which is weird when you're down calling yourself the best of the best that you're still trying to equal someone. Well, look, no, no wrestler is going out there saying I'm approximately the 13th best in the world. I, I know, I know. <laughs> and the whole idea is that he has grown since that time. Yeah. And he's excited for this because this is, he obviously thought this would be my chance and my opportunity. And he's so frustrated with himself as he's outside the ring that he still, he obviously thought this would be my moment. And knocking him out in the press conference would certainly suggest that you're there. He thought he was ready, yeah. And he's not quite. But there will be another day and there will be another match. Because I, you know... Kijimuto, during the entire time that they were Young Lions, beat Machisa Chono every time they fought each other. It wasn't until seven years into their careers at the G1 in 1991 in the final that Chono finally beat Muto. Okay. But then after that... So if you look at the record books, because of how often the Young Lions face each other, it's probably like Muto 33, Chono 6. But it will actually be... Post Young Lions, it'll be more like Muto 5, Chono 6, or yeah. something along those lines. <laughs> they don't count. Next goal wins. Oh, come on! Well, no, now because of the way that it's worked out, because he only faced him once whilst he was a Young Lion, probably by the time Tanahashi retires, by the end of it, it'll be like Okada will have like a 3 4 5 match win lead over him. Yeah. 
But in that key moment, when they were in the greatest feud of all time, it was more like 4-3 or 3-3. But there you are, there you are. So whilst that 4-0 does look bad, when it becomes... 4-1. That's the culmination of that story, as weird as it sounds. Yeah, that's what they are working towards. That is true. Um, and it's going to be a big moment. I don't know what... Do you reckon it happens in an all-Japan ring? Oh, yeah. I'm certain that it happens in an all-Japan ring. This is like a... This is this is returning the favour. Yeah. We haven't touched on the name of this event yet. Well, to be fair, it's actually the name of the match, ah. not the event. But, yeah, the, the name of the match is Forbidden Reunion. They knew what they were doing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder, would it have been even greater if Sasuke had been in the crowd? Or maybe they, one or both of them, have a fractious relationship with him at this point? Mm. I mean, they say Kento, his name, is literally a combination of Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto. So maybe he's got a better relationship with him than Nakajima. That would be funny as well. Yeah. I I don't know enough about the ins and outs, but that would be fun another extra layer on top of it if they bring in Sasuke to be in the commentary position or if it was North America he'd be the ref yeah but that wouldn't work really in Japan no that's not really a Japanese thing you're right but you're right there is a there is a potential extra layer they can add there's more to this story that could be told they could become a tag team afterwards or yeah a a dream into promotional tags and who knows what might happen if they continue to do stuff with New Japan I think a lot of people have hoped that Miyahara gets a chance to do some stuff with New Japan talents. Mm. I think if his body is not completely battered to the point that he can't go on anymore, at some point in the next few years, I think Tanahashi's going to follow in the footsteps of the third generation guys and go into Noah or All Japan, win their championship, and then put over their young guy, which is what Kojima did recently in Noah. It's what Nagata just did in in All Japan. I think Meltzer rated that match. The, where Nagata lost the triple crown back to the All Japan guy, like four and three quarter stars. So the Nagata still got it. Go on, Blue Justice! Yeah. I mean, I wondered if Tanahashi was going to go on a massive losing streak at this G1, and that would signify this is his last G1. But it doesn't look like that's been the case so far. But that's for another day, Another maybe another future five-star match. We don't know, because now that... like That's the thing you find with Meltzer. Once the levy breaks... Then we could get flooded with Noah. When you're in the club, you're in the club. Miyahara could suddenly be getting two, three, four, five. Maybe one of the problems is that the caliber of opponents that he has in All Japan and and Noah aren't necessarily of that quality that Okada had or or Osprey has had or Omega has had. Or again, maybe it's just personal tastes. But it's like just suddenly for that brief period, NXT was giving Meltzer everything that he wanted until it wasn't. There you go. So... We'll see. Remains to be seen, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and we're getting no G1 five-star matches yet. As I've said, I think that the 20 minutes time limit will probably will, will probably greatly increase your enjoyment and uh, digestibility, if that's a word. Hey, now who's reaching into the realms of grammar? <laughs> yeah, well, it's always a first time. I think it's your, it's your negative effect on me, Simon. Oh, here we go. Here we... That was my Nakajima taking a pinfall moment there. <laughs> Except it's not four and zero. Okay. Yeah, so it's making them more tolerable to watch as a one event, but maybe not giving Meltzer the epic scope that he feels like he needs. You know, this match going thirty-four minutes certainly, obviously, didn't hurt, and that it wasn't a laborious thirty-four minutes. That's true. That is true. It didn't drag at all this much. I really, really like this match. I would go in the range of four and a half to four and three quarters stars on this. I think. 
I, I had four and a half in my head. Despite well. your reservations on Miyahara remaining. Yeah. I'm not marking him down explicitly because he, I didn't connect with him. I'm just saying he, I didn't connect with him. Okay. Well, we hope that we've connected with you for the period of this recording. And we will connect with you again next week. When, assuming no five stars in the interim, we're going to be back on the match of the week bandwagon. And Simon, it's your pick. And what is that pick that we will finally, hopefully... Because we've trailed this a couple of times, I think. What will we be talking about, theoretically, in the next episode? Well, from someone who hasn't quite captivated me to a man who captivates me to the extent that I've picked him for match of the week. Uh, We are talking about a match between Dalton Castle and Silas Young. A fight without honour. The actual date it took place on was the 27th of February 2016. But it airs sometime early April. Whilst Miyahara can't win you over with the 35-minute classic wrestling match, all Dalton Castle had to do was sit on a couple of young men. I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But until then, Simon, people want to get in touch with you with other footage of people sitting on men that may not be what you're looking for, or may be that you never knew what you were looking for. How can they do so? People get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the grade of concussion that Miyahara comes out of this match with. <laughs> My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A at the end of Miyahara. N for the N at the start of Nakajima. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put in at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lntyspod at gmail.com. LNTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. If you would like us to be able to extend our WrestleUniverse subscription beyond the mere one-week free trial, then by all means contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash lntyspod. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. We hope that you somehow have a five and a quarter star week. Right. Until the next one. Took money out the bank to fill the tank. Hit the freeway to grab some drinks. While I'm driving, got time to think. Yeah. I believe I'm up. Victorious, rappy scissors. Clitoris. Moves I made them burn their corn. They rounds too fat like tortillas. Pockets, rabbit ears. They curious. Me not hot, must be delirious. What they doing? I'm oblivious. I had it dreaming, now I'm living. Perseverance despite the interference. Them checks at the bank, you know they clear. My slaps is gold, keep up a fence. In about a minute for you, hit them with you. Off the blue when you up, don't ever trust them. Brother, 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 but they really ain't fans. Just you who fought. 300 I am. Money stand up like comedians. Jumping Spartan, get it regardless. Since it started, been on my target. I got the bargain, what I'm charging Depend on where I think your heart is Name the largest A&R shit Switch it up like May and March shit. Like give me the money, that fame is garbage Like I'm in my lane, so ain't no parking Bumping something, you know that's coming Put a song out and make some money Getting paid from back in the fall Shining like a slap star Slap, yeah, all slap Slap, 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 slap,